Welcome to the Mariners Cast, presented to you by Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. It is Monday, November 27th, 2023. This is Mariners Cast number 108. I am going to cover on today's Mariners Cast some of the rumors I've seen on Twitter on ESPN, talking about uh, potential Mariners acquisitions. I will address a couple of the potential trades that I've seen, bring bring up a couple players I would like to see the Mariners uh, take a shot at acquiring. We will cover some of the other free agent signings, specifically the St. Louis Cardinals signing starting pitchers and what that means for the Mariners. And then uh, I will talk a little bit about what I would like to see from the Mariners uh, over the next couple of months. A little recap of some of the previous pods, but also uh, why I think it's important for the Mariners to uh, continue to stay the course. So let's get started. The first rumor I would like to address is I've seen uh, Jeff Passan and others bring up Isak Paredes, uh, Tampa Bay Rays, slugging infielder as a uh, potential acquisition for the Mariners. The Rays are looking for young pitching. Uh, Paredes is seen as not as expendable because he was very good last season with a an 840 OPS, and he was worth uh, 4.3 Fangraphs war and had a 137 WRC+. Plus. And while those numbers are impressive, I have some stats and some reasons as to why I do not think Paredes would be a good Mariners fit. little history on Paredes, 24 years old, 5'11", 213, can play first, second, or third base. He was signed by the Cubs in 2015. He was traded in 17 to the Tigers with Jimer Candelario on a deadline trade. And then April of 18, he was traded to the Rays for outfielder Austin Meadows. He's arbitration eligible in 24, a free agent in 28. Last season for the Tampa Bay Rays, he hit 250, 352, 488 with an 840 OPS. In 571 plate appearances, he had 31 home runs. He walked more than 10% of the time. He struck out just over 18% of the time, which is a very good K rate. Uh, He doesn't chase. He chases at league average. Uh, He whiffs way below league average. Again, 137 WRC plus. All sounds good, right? So what is it about Isak Paredes that I do not like and why I would not give up the uh, requisite young pitching to acquire Paredes? Uh, For starters, he is a bit of... uh, a one-trick pony. So what Predis has done since being acquired by the Rays is he's learned how to hit the ball in the air to left field. And we all know that that is really the the way modern-day uh, power hitters have become much more effective, right? It's the, the Justin Turner uh, get out in front of the ball and pull it down the line sort of uh, tweak to your swing that Turner does well. Some of the other uh, players that come to mind, uh, Alex Bregman does it very well. Uh, Marcus Simeon does it very well. 
these are all guys who tend to hit home runs almost exclusively down the line pull side. They all also do not hit the ball very hard. And uh, so Paredes average exit velocity last season was below 87 miles an hour. He had a 22.2 degree launch angle, which is essentially hitting the ball straight up in the air. Uh, 5.9% barrel, which was 26th percentile in baseball and 28.3% hard hit, which is the sixth percentile in baseball. He hit the, he hit fly balls 47% of the time and pulled the ball 54.5% of the time. So dead fly ball pull hitter. It's how he hit his home runs. He didn't, he has not hit a single home run to the right of left center field in the past two years, every single one of his home runs in 22 and in 23, that's including a 31 home run season last season, have all been hit to left center and left field. In a park where the ball carries to left field, that makes a lot of sense, right? If you're hitting in a band box, if you're hitting in a park where the ball carries, that is a very effective way of hitting. And in Tampa, I took the three-year rolling home run or three-year rolling park factor off and just looked at last season. For right-handed hitters in Tampa, it has a 114 home run park factor. What that means is it is 14% easier for a right-handed hitter to hit a home run in Tampa Bay last season. For comparison, in Seattle, right-handed hitter home run factor for 2023 is 82, meaning it is 18% more difficult, more difficult, not less, more difficult for a right-handed hitter to hit a home run in Seattle than league average. You put those two numbers together, and it is a 32% difference between Tampa Bay and Seattle for a right-handed hitter to hit a home run in 2023. So Paredes was in a homer-friendly park for right-handed hitters at home last season, and he would move to one of the most difficult parks to hit a home run for a righty if he was to be traded to Seattle. Oakland, 88 home run uh, park factor for right-handed hitters last year. Houston, 95. Now, Anaheim is 119, Texas is 138. So in Anaheim and in Texas, it is advantageous to a right-handed hitter to get the ball up in the air, pull side. But when you start to look at that and you start to wonder what it would take for the Mariners to give up, what the Mariners would have to give up to acquire a player like Isak Paredes, who's not a free agent until 2028, who had a WRC plus last season of 137, was worth 4.3 Fangraphs war and hit 31 home runs in the infield, clearly Tampa Bay would be asking for a ton. You're probably looking at an, a beginning ask of one of Gilbert, Wu, or Miller, and they would probably want an additional minor leaguer. That's my guess. My bet would be if Paredes came to Seattle with the same approach as, he, as he's had over the previous two years in Tampa Bay, you're looking at a low 20s home run hitter. You're probably looking at, to be honest with you, a Eugenio Suarez type numbers without the defense. 
And so why not just keep Suarez in that situation? Um, so Paredes for me is a no. I, I like him fantasy-wise. I've had an eye on him for a couple of years now because of some of those metrics. Those metrics do not work in Seattle. Next up, Blake Snell. We saw Blake Snell for those Seattle fans that, that are into football as well. He was at the Husky game, sounding the siren, going nuts, rooting for the Huskies uh, at the Apple Cup. He was at the Seahawks game on Thursday, raised the 12th man flag. Uh, Mike Tirico on NBC even said that Blake Snell says he wants to come to Seattle. He told some fans, come get me, basically, like, push to have the Mariners sign him. Um, I just wanted to say, you know, we've gone over Blake Snell. We've gone over his metrics, why he's effective, why he won the Cy Young, how it's not a great fit with the Mariners because of his approach, all those things. What I'm going to say is none of this public display of desire to play in Seattle, nor the Mariners fans, you know, clamoring for him to get signed on Twitter and everywhere else. None of this is going to make a lick of difference to this front office. They don't give a rip. They don't care. And I think it's important to acknowledge that because, you know, if, for me, if I'm working for a company or being led by someone, I don't want them to listen to pressure from the public. I don't want them to make decisions that aren't thought out and aren't their own. It doesn't mean you can't learn from more knowledge, but I'm glad that the front office doesn't give a rip what the fans think. I'm glad. I trust them to put a winner together more so than Joe Schmo on Twitter. I just do. And so all the pressure in the world that the fans are trying to put on this front office and even the pressure from Blake Snell, I don't think he's trying to put pressure necessarily on the front office. I think he's having fun, but it's not going to make a difference. Would I love to see Blake Snell as a Mariner, as a fan? I absolutely would. I get that it's a tedious way to pitch because you're walking a ton of guys and he doesn't get it deep into games. I get that uh, it doesn't fit what the other Mariners pitchers do. I just like Blake Snell. I like that he's from here. I think it'd be fun to root for him. He's clearly been effective in both leagues. Uh, I don't think the outlay for Snell, dollar-wise and year-wise, is going to be quite what people think it is because he's only had two good years or two really, really good years. And because he's gone 180 innings twice in his career, but I'd love to see it just as a fan. I think it'd be fun. I'd love to see him slotting in, slotted in this, in this uh, pitching rotation, but I'm here to tell you this, all of the pomp and circumstance of the Mariners fans and of Blake Snell is not going to make a lick of difference to this front office. Just saying. Next, uh, Mariners, people have been making plenty of comments about Mariners. You know, the Mariners have been matched up with the Cardinals by J.P. Morosi and others as trade partners since the trade deadline. I had talked a lot about the different players in the Cardinals and what they would have meant to this Mariners team. Uh, I think a lot of the Cardinals players are vastly overrated, not worth the ask. You know, there's a lot of Brendan Donovan for Gilbert Miller Wu sort of stuff going on. Donovan is a bit player. You don't like, you know, some of these light hitting infielders that the Mariners have. 
Wait till you see Brendan Donovan. Slow, bad defensively, all sorts of things. So I was salty about those trade rumors. Um, I don't love any of the ones that I've seen since then. This week, this past week, the Cardinals went out and signed uh, a couple of pitchers. They signed Lance Lynn to a one-year deal, $11 million. They signed Kyle Gibson, one-year, $12 million. Both are older, back-of-the-rotation types of guys. So, you know, at this point in time, they went and signed Sonny Gray, who was the Twins co-ace, if you want to call him that, uh, finished... I believe second in AL Cy Young. Um, they signed him three years, $75 million. So the Cardinals are pretty much done, I think, with adding to the rotation. I think if the Mariners made an offer that they really liked, they would come after some younger pitching since all of it is older. But I've seen the point made on Twitter that the fact that the Cardinals have signed these guys, the Mariners are losing out. And if they don't act quickly, this market is going to dry out. Right, where there aren't going to be people to or teams to acquire the Mariners pitching. That I've seen it said that uh, Gray signing for seventy five over three years is increasing the market on Snell, and the Mariners need to move now. None of that is true. None of that is true. I don't think. In fact, I think Sonny Gray came in slightly under market at three years seventy five. I think he could have asked for a fourth, maybe even a fifth year. And 25 million AAV is essentially the going rate for a, you know, top of the rotation, top half of the rotation starter. Mariners are paying Castillo just under 22, I think $21.3 million a year. And that's that was considered a deal. So I don't think the market has changed at all for Blake Snell in terms of signing him because of this Sonny Gray deal. And I would argue the opposite, which is when free agent starters come off of the market, there are not enough free agent starters, good ones, to satisfy the needs of each and every major league team. So as these starters come off the market, right, when Yamamoto signs, when Montgomery signs, when Snell signs, when all these guys sign with teams, the guy, the pitchers that the Mariners have to trade, their value goes up. Yes, you may take some of the competitors off of the market. Some teams are going to say to themselves, yes, we signed this top pitcher, but we also want younger pitchers in our rotation for balance, right? And the control, the, the ability to control cost within your rotation and still be effective the way that the Mariners do is worth its weight in gold to other teams. So the fact that these pitchers come off the market, I would argue makes the trade market for the Mariners even better because there are fewer pitchers to be had. It's a fine line, right? And I think you have to walk that fine line and, and understand exactly when these pitchers are valued at their peak or at their highest. It's not even to say that I would trade them. It's just to say that from a value perspective, it is not true that the Mariners have to act now. That's just fans being impatient, right? You got to wait it out. And I think that DePoto and the front office are really, really, really good at understanding when to act and why. 
One of the rumors that I saw was the Mariners trading one of their those three starters for a package of something like Tink Hentz, who's their 21-year-old uh, number one starting pitching prospect. Alec Burleson, left-handed hitter, uh, doesn't really have a defensive home. And Tommy Edmond, uh, kind of super utility guy. There's no way I make this trade. Burleson, 400 plate appearances so far, 25 years old in the major leagues, 400 plate appearances, 670 OPS, doesn't strike out, isn't fast, horrible defender, basically is a nothing burger. Doesn't impact the ball at all. 400 plate appearances, 295 on base percentage. It's an example, I think, of people just seeing Cardinals young player and thinking they're going to be great because they're a Cardinal which is a myth from the past. He was worth negative 0.9 Fangraphs war in 2023. No way. Tommy Edmond, 28 years old, free agent in 26. You hear the name, you think steals, you think good defense. 6.6% walk rate last season, 15.9% K rate last season, 13 home runs, 27 steals, 92 WRC plus, 8% below league. 5.6 Fangraphs war in 2022, primarily because of his defense. 2.3 Fangraphs war last season. He is a great defender. Nine outs above average last season, 96th percentile, 19 and 2200th percentile. But he is a defensive player that adds a little bit with the bat. I think he would be very frustrating for Mariners fans with the bat. If you are prioritizing defense at second, or even at short, but probably at second, if you're prioritizing defense at second and you didn't care so much whether he could hit or not, Edmund would be a good acquisition, but does not make the Mariners better, in my opinion, especially if you're giving up pitching for these guys. Tink Hentz, I love as a, as a pitching prospect. It's 50-50 as to whether he's ever healthy because of his build. No go on this trade. It's the kind of trade, it's like, the kind of trade where you're offering three crappy players in fantasy football for someone's star. I'm not saying Edmund or Hens are crappy, but it's not a trade that that would be worth it, in my opinion, not even close. Lars Newbar be a little different question. I like Lars Newbar a lot. Uh, what the Cardinals would be asking for Newbar would be is has been way too much over the past year or so. And Jordan Walker is the only other bat in that lineup that I think is young enough to fit this timeline and good enough. And Jordan Walker is probably a top, I don't know, 10, top 15 young bat in baseball. Um, at least those who aren't proven yet. Incredibly talented, like just a notch below Julio Rodriguez type of talent in his bat. They would be asking, either asking way too much or, or untradeable with Jordan Walker. The Yoshinobu Yamamoto has been posted. Um, he is starting to uh, set up meetings with major league teams. Signing him clearly would free up a, a, a bat to trade. I think it's smart of the Mariners not to make any big moves until they know where Yamamoto lands and if they are able to sign him. I know the Mariners are making a big push to sign him. Signing him obviously creates the opportunity to trade a, a pitcher. Uh, 
but missing out on Yamamoto and having him sign elsewhere creates a sense of urgency for other teams that don't have pitching. And I think the value of Mariners pitching once Yamamoto signs, as I said earlier, really goes up. Yamamoto signs somewhere other than, let's say, the Yankees, right? Yankees now are looking for pitching. Say Jordan Montgomery resigns in Texas. They've been rumored to be going after him. Say Blake Snell signs elsewhere. All of a sudden, the Yankees are freaked out about finding pitching. Mariners go and talk to them, right? That kind of situation, I think when Yamamoto signs, you will see some things start to happen for the Mariners. I do think he's the domino that they're waiting uh, they're waiting for to fall before they really start to make moves. Shota Imanaga was posted as well. Uh, trade Rumors predicts that he would get a five-year, $85 million contract as a starting pitcher with a $14 million posting fee. So it's about a $100 million outlay for five years for Imanaga. Uh, really beautiful fastball shape, low 90s, left, left-handed starter, really controls the zone, does not walk guys, splitter, slider, curveball. Um, would fit the Mariners in terms of the style that they look for. I would wonder if the Mariners prefer Imanaga over Snell, even though Snell has won two Cy Youngs, just because of the style of pitching. I do think the Mariners make a run at Imanaga. I think they make a run at Yamamoto first and Imanaga at second. But I would love the fit, and I think it would make a lot of sense. So Imanaga has been posted. I saw a couple rumors with Juan Soto uh, that I want to address. One was from MLB Insider. It was Juan Soto and Tom Cosgrove, who's a left, uh, an effective left-handed reliever, come to the Mariners. Headed out to San Diego would be Bryce Miller, Jared Kelnick, and the third of three first-round picks last season, Ty Pete. The Mariners would need to sign a starter in this case. Uh as much as I love the talent in Jared Kelnick's bat, I do think we're at a place now with Kelnick and in terms of giving him opportunity that if he's in the lineup, fine. We'll continue to see what's there. If he's not, if he's traded, if there's a team that desires him, let him go. If you're getting good value back, Soto would take Kelnick's place in this lineup. You can't tell me that's not an upgrade, right? Obviously it is. Ty Pete is a stud. He's 18. Ty Pete could be a star. Incredibly athletic. Uh, was a pitcher that threw mid-90s in high school. Is listed as a shortstop. He, I think he's going to be a third baseman or center fielder. Incredible athletic tools. Uh, but he's still 18. And so this trade, you would not be mortgaging the farm. I think Kelnick is, it's fine to give up Kelnick in my opinion. Ty Pete, you don't want to give up every one of the minor leaguers, but tied giving up one of really any of the guys that are a part of that class, right? I wouldn't give up Emerson, but Pete, Farmelo, um, Gabriel Gonzalez, Lazaro Montes, even a Harry Ford. You know, it's in order to be good now with young controllable pitching and Julio, I'd say do it. So this trade, you'd have a hole. Right, you would have to fill a starting pitcher role. You might be able to patch it with Marco Gonzalez for a while. Um, Robbie Ray is not going to be a positive contributor in 24. 
Uh, I would love to see them go sign an Imanaga in this situation uh, or a Snell or a Yamamoto, obviously. But I think Imanaga would be a more realistic scenario. But yes, would I give up Bryce Miller, Jerry Kelnick, and Ty Pete for Cosgrove and Soto? 100%. Another one, ESPN. Brian Wu, Kate Marlowe, Prelander Baroa, and Harry Ford for Juan Soto. And then you would go sign Blake Snell. Is Wu, Marlowe, Baroa, and Ford too much for Soto? A lot of people have said it's too much. Would I do it? I would. Brian Wu is your number five starter, probably, who hasn't thrown more than 131 and two-thirds innings in the pros. He had TJ a couple years ago. We know we all know how great Brian Wu was this season, how great he can be. Um, I think there are still some health questions with him, uh, like any TJ survivor, but would it would it hurt to give up Brian Wu? It would, in the same way it would hurt to give up Bryce Miller. But you're talking about Juan Soto. Cade Marlowe is a is a strong side platoon outfield four at best, in my opinion. I like him as a player. I don't think he's a starter. Prelander Baroa, as talented as he is, as great as his fastball slider combination are out of the pen, he's still a relief pitcher. And we've seen what a great arm is worth when we saw the trade that the Mariners made with uh, the Diamondbacks for Carlos Valdez. We've seen what an incredible relief pitcher value is worth in the trade with the Diamondbacks when the Mariners traded Paul Seawall. And yet, you know, Barrow has not proven yet. So I'm not worried about the Mariners trading relief pitchers. Please trade them for bats. Harry Ford, very good prospect, right? Top three Mariners prospects. Some people say he's number one. I think it's Cole Emerson. Harry Ford is a very good player. Athletic catcher, 5'10", over 200 pounds. Probably could play second or third or center field if you really needed him to fast. Hits for power. Uh, his, I guess, superpower is his ability to take walks. And, you know, trusting a high walk rate from a minor leaguer to translate in the major leagues is scary to me. You see it time and again, players that can walk in the minors come up and major league pitching, throwing quality strikes and throwing inside the ability to jam hitters and forcing the, the hitter to swing can really knock down this type of prospect, right? Some people also question whether he's a catcher. I like Harry Ford a lot. I think he's a valuable player. I'm excited to see him in the majors. I'm excited to see him as a Mariner. I think he's a leader, uh, very good prospect, top 50 prospect in baseball. But the Mariners also have Cal Raleigh controlled until 2028. That's when he's a free agent. So what is the Harry Ford's true value to the Mariners if Cal Raleigh continues to do what he's been doing? I think Ford is a valuable asset. I don't... I think he's expendable if the Mariners find the right trade. Really, trading Baroa and Marlowe are not a big deal to me. This is Wu and Ford for Soto. Um, I would do it. I would value Ty Pete a little higher than, than Harry Ford. So really, it's Miller and Pete versus Wu and Ford. Obviously, Kelnick was in the other trade, but I would do this. Um 
because I don't really think you're you're hitting at the heart of the Mariners in order to acquire Soto. And of course, then signing Blake Snell, as I said, with um, with Imanaga and everyone else makes total sense. Those are a couple of trades that I've seen uh, rumored, not rumored or, or just hypothetical trades. The other hypothetical or player that I took a look at for today's purposes is Eloy Jimenez. Jimenez is essentially a DH at this point, 27-year-old right-handed hitter for the White Sox, uh, big Cubs prospect that was traded for Jose Quintana, left-handed pitcher at the deadline a few years back, 6'4", 240, big kind of sloppy body. Uh, they have him signed to a contract that includes a club option for 25 and 26 I believe at least the AAV is 7.2 million per year. I don't know that that's the contract for 25 and 26, but affordable nevertheless. Really interesting hitter. Hits the ball incredibly hard. 90 plus average exit velocity. Uh, max exit is always high. Hit 18 home runs and 489 plate appearances last season. Hit 272. Uh, OPS of 758. Now, only 19% K rate, 105 WRC plus, only 0.4 Fangrass war, terrible defensive player, really a DH only at this point in time. But the really interesting part about him is he hits the ball on the ground way too much for a power hitter. 53.2% ground ball rate last season. And he doesn't pull it a ton either. 40.5% pull rate last season. So you're talking about a player with 60 to 65 grade power, probably a 60 hit tool, which all sounds good, but he doesn't pull the ball and he doesn't hit the ball in the air. When he does hit the ball in the air, it's gone. Do I trust the Mariners to be able to tweak uh, a hitter's swing in order to maximize their power? I don't. I have to be honest, I don't. I think Jimenez going to a team that teaches hitting well, right? Jimenez in Tampa, Jimenez with the Dodgers, some of those types of teams, I think he would thrive. I don't know if the fit is right with the Mariners. He would be a DH only type. Um, he would fill, I guess, that Solaire role. What The reason I bring him up is the White Sox are selling off everybody. And I think Jimenez could be had because of his injuries in the past. Jimenez could be had for cheap. And you're talking about a, as I said, a 60 hit, 60 to 65 power bat um, that would be very inexpensive. So it's the type of move I would expect to see from Jerry DePoto. Uh, I don't know that it's on the radar, but it's one that I think I'd be happy with, or at least excited to see. So lastly, I wanted to dig a little bit into kind of where the Mariners are at, you know, if you do follow Mariners Twitter, you know that it's just nuts right now. People are clamoring for anything. Every little move means the world. Um, everyone's wondering why they haven't acted really yet. I think they have with the Suarez trade. But at this point, if you start, if you really kind of zoom out and look at the bigger picture with this Seattle Mariners team, you see an 88 win team over the last three, each of the last three years. And it's a team that is young, that is starting to kind of get into their prime. 
the core of your pitching, Julio, some of the other younger players, Cal Raleigh, Jared Kelnick, if you want to argue that, um, with a lot of youth on the way. And do the Mariners need to add specifically on the margins? They absolutely need to add. You know, I've talked about Jorge Polaire, Jorge Polaire, Jorge Polanco, uh, Jorge Soler, even like a Justin Turner or a Jaime Candelario at third. Talked about the ideas of adding, signing a free agent pitcher in order to trade a pitcher for a bat. All those things, yes, make sense. I don't see any of those moves outside of trading one of the young pitchers as really huge um, moves. They're impactful, but it's not a Soto type of thing. It's not a Yamamoto type of thing. This is more on the margins, right? Solaire is not going to cost you more than maybe 45 over three, maybe 60 over four. Polanco is going to cost you a decent minor leaguer, likely, and maybe a reliever. And you're adding $10.5 million at that point. These aren't huge moves, but they're smart moves. I just, you don't change everything for the sake of change. Subtracting K-rate and adding more bat to ball because this park is so big and suppresses power is super smart. That's not for the sake change for the sake of change. That's change because you realize you've made a mistake in how you've constructed your roster. If T-Mobile suppresses power, what it means is the way to score is to get on base and to move runners around, right? We saw it in the early 2000s with the Mariners. You hit the ball in the gaps. You take your walks. You produce, you know, you take the extra base. You need athletic players, players that don't strike out. Because if you strike out a ton and another team comes in and starts to hit the ball around the park, and the only way for you is to score is to hit home runs, you're going to lose. And we've seen that with the Mariners time and again. That's not change for the sake of change. That's changing because you you admitted to making a mistake. I like that. I appreciate that. I think it's a sign of maturity that Jerry DePoto is willing to say, we made a mistake in how we constructed this team in 2023 offensively. And we are willing to change. I love that. I'm only trading pitching from this team because it is an 88 win team that I think is on the upswing and will get better because they've taken strikeouts away from the offense. I'm only trading young pitching, meaning Gilbert Wu or Miller. If I'm getting someone from like, like the bottom level is Shota Imanaga, Imanaga, Snell, Montgomery, Yamamoto, those types of guys. That is the only way I'm dealing one of those pitchers. Otherwise, I'm staying pat. I'm keeping the dudes I have because you have young, controllable pitching depth. I do think any of these trades that I've seen so far for Juan Soto are worth it. I know it's a one-year deal. I don't believe he's re-signing. Maybe I watched too much Kawhi Leonard than the Toronto Raptors. I also think that, you know, Juan Soto playing a year with Julio Rodriguez, with Luis Castillo, with some of the other Latino players might make a difference. I don't know. But a year of Juan Soto and the 400 plus on base percentage and the power coupled with Julio Rodriguez, I just think 
It is something that I would do because the offers that I've seen, the rumors that I've seen out there to trade for Juan Soto, you're not giving up the farm and you're not tearing down your starting pitching to the point where it's not going to be great in 2024. I would make one of those trades. I think they need to continue to add on the margins. Like I said, I liked the trade with um, the Diamondbacks in terms of freeing up space and getting a, you know, a hundred mile an hour reliever. If you find an upgrade at catcher two, you make it. You still have to continue to add, right? You have to find a second baseman or a third baseman. I don't think Rojas, Urias, and, you know, the Dylan Moore types are going to work. If the Mariners go into spring training with Ryan Bliss as someone that they're kind of counting on, that's not a good situation. I love Bliss as a prospect. I don't think you count on him heading into 24. I'm just, I, I have so many eggs wrapped up in them making the Jorge Polanco trade. Gleyber Torres, something like that, right? They have to continue to add. But to me, though, while they're core pieces, they're not Julio Rodriguez type pieces, right? They're not George Kirby type pieces. So still adding to the core, but still sort of on the margins. You need a corner outfielder, at least one, maybe two, if you don't believe in Kelnick. And you need a DH. So they're not done. I think this is only the beginning. I don't want to see them absolutely mortgage the farm. I, I certainly think that this front office is not going to budge on what they believe because Joe Schmo on Twitter is saying they should. I'd love to see them go after Soto. Do I expect them to get any of Soto, Snell, or Yamamoto? I don't, but I would love to. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'm expecting a lot of movement from the Mariners once Yamamoto signs. Like I said, I think that's the domino they're waiting to fall. Um, I think Shohei is uh, pie in the sky, but you have to wait for those big guys to sign for everything to kind of shake out. I think everybody's waiting on that. So barring big Mariners news, we will be back next Monday with another update just like this. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please rate the podcast. Thank you for listening to this Mariners cast. I believe it was number 108. We are presented to you by Sports Ethos. Once again, you can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20. That's T-I-N-O-J-R-2-0. And the podcast at Ethos Mariners, E-T-H-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-E-R-S. Enjoy your week. Heading into the dog days of winter. Seahawks play on Thursday against the Cowboys. Not sure if Candace and I are going to do a preview of that game or not. I'm not Seahawks 360. Nevertheless, take care, y'all. Enjoy this Mariners cast, the offseason. I'm waiting for big news just like you. Take care, y'all. Peace.